I was physically scared and panicked of, of how to survive, not to be dramatic, but they get closer to me and I can't hear anything. My, my senses are swirling, but I see their mouth mouthing the words, just breathe, you know, just breathe. And that was the very first time I'd thought about that word, breathe. Thought about the breath. I'm like, oh yeah, breathe. So I sort of like pushed out all the air I had been keeping in my chest, reset that, and found a little bit of comfort in that, that I could at least control, at least owned my breath. And enough so to get back to shore, the 60 meters, for reference, that's like a less than one minute swim <laughs> back to the boat dock that was very muddy and slippery. And I made my way back. And man, that, that feeling, that, those emotions, which are really still hard to find language for even today, were just, it was the worst feeling I maybe have ever had because I found my first fear and my first fear was in a place that I identified with the most, the water. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this is where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Life is an ever-changing ocean of motion, and we may have many iterations of ourselves throughout our lives, so I think purpose can also take on many looks and feels. We can have a sense of purpose throughout our day as we serve others or achieve our goals. We can pay attention to life with purpose so that we're more present in our day-to-day. Or in the case of today's guest, we can feel an innate draw to something and follow that calling, and sometimes that becomes our way of life. Even though Brian Mineo was raised 250 miles away from the nearest ocean, he felt a love for the ocean from as early as he can remember. He dreamt about swimming in its waters and spending time on its shores, but also there was a distance between what was calling him and his physical surroundings. He bridged the gap as best he could with pool swimming and then open water swimming in lakes and eventually moving to Southern California's Pacific coast and over time into the purpose that he lives today, bridging the gap for people between living on land and the great element of water. Brian is the founder of The Swim Mechanic and One with the Ocean, which is centered around improving humans' relationship with the ocean. If you've been following our stories, then you know we've been joining the Sunday morning open water workouts at Moonlight Beach in Encinitas, and they are incredible training sessions. They are so much fun and also relevant to improving our skills as triathletes. Admittedly, we knew about Brian and his incredible organization, but it took us years, a few years before we joined the group. Why? We really don't have a good reason. So we're just going to trust in the divine orchestration of timing because in the end, we are so happy that we have said yes and that today we have the opportunity to share this incredible human with you all. Brian Mineo, welcome to the show. Oh, that was beautiful. I, I just want you to read a story right now. That was really cozy. <laughs> wow. Call me tonight when you're going to bed. I'll read you something. <laughs> you have to, I'll do a little yoga nidra, but you have to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, wow. No, thank you guys. And it's funny. Yeah, we've been in the same proximity for years. And I am so grateful. I don't know what drew you guys to the group. But I'm very happy. Your energy has been a huge addition the past well, a month plus now. So I'm really happy to have you guys as new friends and members of the community for sure. Thank you, Brian. We we love being down there, and it's it's definitely our jam. Like the the community, facing fears, getting in open water, pushing you know pushing your breath, 
working through um, working through mind stuff, and it's all in an environment that's welcoming. And we'll we'll get to that. I, I definitely want to dive into that. But where are you, and what are you doing right now? <laughs> so right now I am in a house uh, that happens to be in Grand Cayman, which has just become my happy place the past almost a couple of years now, I guess. I have this really odd dream gig that's hard to explain. It doesn't sound real. I'm not sure if it is totally real. And uh, I get to work in the ocean here in these perfectly clear waters that are 84 degrees year-round and have some of the healthiest reef and biodiversity in the world right now. And it's just this, this for me, re-energizes my, my all, everything for back home for me. When I'm here, I feel inspired. This is where I kind of create the most things and ideas. So I'm here now for a couple weeks, and I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> Are you coaching down there? What do you do? I do. Yeah. So I, here, I would say most simply, I do almost all the things I do home, I do here as well. And I think the most unique thing I've done here that I've sort of created a new... Uh, facet or arm of my business with is more adult learn to swim. I've met countless people here on this island that have so much fear of the water that uh, they just haven't approached it. And I think they've watched me over a number of trips and seen me work with other people and then felt empowered themselves or felt comfortable or safe to want to ask for help. Uh, even on this trip, I've worked with two people who actually drown as kids and were, and were resuscitated. And another one who almost drowned. So these sessions are the best. Like this for me is so, so rewarding. Just being in the water with them, working on the movements of breath, of submersion. So right now that's been kind of my, my fun new focus, I would say. Mm. Well, how do you work with that? I know we're going to get into fear because it's something. Well, I, th- I say we jump right. Let's just jump <laughs> yeah. right into fear. I mean, fear yeah. of everything. What, what is what is it? What is the biggest fear? Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of things on the list, but what do, what are you seeing most? Maybe in those um, the people that you're working with down there. What is the source of the fear? Yeah, I, th- I think fear being the lack of understanding of something or the unknown, as many would say. I think here with the ocean in particular being such a vast, dynamic, unpredictable space, I think the fear is the lack of being able to control the brain and what is happening as you get into it. Uh, And then quite literally, a lot of people cannot swim as it is, which of course does not help and it perpetuates those, those feelings and that mindset. But uh, it's not necessarily sharks. We're, I think, home in California. That would be a more common fear, uh, which we can certainly talk about. That's, that's not the case here. Again, this is like perfect, like idyllic water. So I think it really is just unfamiliar territory that has been generationally passed down and perpetuates. So if your parents didn't swim or get in the ocean, uh, you're not going to do that either. And so I think for a lot of people, it might not even be it might be hard to articulate for them what it is, which almost makes both of our jobs harder. So my job is to try to unpack that and figure out, okay, so, so what, what is the narrative in your head right now? And how do we start to really find a place of like calm as we get into the water, literally get into the water. Hmm. Why do you think it's so important that we, we, we commune with, with water and specifically the ocean? Uh, 
That's like my favorite question. Um, I, I think the, the water is our life source being the largest feature on the planet. Obviously it's just such a easy place to connect and create community, which I'll talk about with one with the ocean, which I feel like I've kind of cheated <laughs> this whole time. So it's so easy because every day is different. Every moment is different. So when you're in the open water and you're sharing that experience with somebody else, whether you're the one that's scared, the other person is, you both are, neither are, you're sharing a very, very tangible experience with somebody. And oftentimes those can be the most unique things that people experience, seeing dolphins or seeing a whale or simply doing a certain distance of a swim or going offshore. So I, I think being in the water is the most life-giving thing that we can do and that we all have the opportunity to be in, whether it's freshwater or if it's ocean, it really wraps our entire planet. And most people are within a small number of miles of water. So for me, it's just a natural place uh, that I think is here for us. Mm. Hearing you speak um, just now, and also I've heard you on uh, some other podcasts, I don't think I've ever seen the ocean as like a connector of our global family. Um, mm. I think we look at the ocean as like what separates us from Europe or the other continents, but the way you speak about it, it's actually the thing that connects us all. Mm. That's interesting. I've never heard someone say that. And that sort of makes me a little sad actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was your intention, but that's what I pulled away from it. I'm like, Oh, I feel like he's talking about it. Like it's, it's our connector. It's like connecting our continents. It's connecting the land as opposed to seeing it as this thing that separates us so much. Yeah, that's, that's fully what I meant, Jess. And that's something I say and write a lot is the ocean connects us. And it's a bit of like a, a double, a duality there. Like, I mean, literally connects us, of course, but then it does in an emotional, spiritual way as well. And our ocean in California, that's the same water that is Hawaii and the other Pacific islands. And thinking about that is really neat. Like that water is moving. So you have shared a physical space that is dynamic with someone in a different time period, different day, different conditions. It's just, it's infinite. I mean, it, it literally is infinite as far as how many, yeah, it, it blows my mind to think about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I do. I, li I like your perspective. I'd never thought about it as being what actually distances us. That's really interesting. Mm. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Let's let's go into your backstory. So I want to hear about this kind of calling that you had to the ocean, even though you didn't live anywhere near the ocean. Like what's kind of the earliest that you remember just really being so curious about this our mother, this beautiful mother ocean? <laughs> I, I think the way I approached the water from a young age was sort of like teed up for me because my older brother was just accomplished at all the things. And I was like average at all of the things. <laughs> so I think I've always been very uniquely me in a sort of loud way. Like I was probably a bit of the annoying little brother at times, like the, like the look at me sort of, sort of <laughs> mentality. So when he was the one that was very structured, rigid with swimming training, I was more so exploring the water in a, with a curious lens, let's say. So like practicing moving to the water in unique ways and, and diving down or holding my breath under the water uh, or just being with friends in the water. And I think this was probably like 
foreshadowing for my interest in building community in the water at you know, a very young age, which of course was unconscious. But I took the pressure off myself to not perform so I could be happy to enjoy the water. And again, that was also very unconscious. So the pools were the starting point. And we had several lakes around us, although I didn't really get in that water until I was a teenager, which you'll probably ask me this story today. I'm happy to share. So it was kind of a slow path, but the water was my home. And growing up in Texas, uh, we were in a middle-class area. Most people had pools, which we were very lucky to have that. We were in the pool all day. Like my mom would have to like drag me out of the water and like tease me with like Totino's pizza rolls to make sure I would get out. (laughs) 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 Which would still work today, by the way. Uh, so like, I love, I love snacks, but, uh, I just, my, my memories of the pool and the water as a kid are just so happy. And I can look at a still image of my brother in the pool and I know that feeling and I I have that feeling still today. So there was, there was a calling and again, like like largely unconscious, but it was an easy magnetic draw that I knew felt happy for me. That was inspiring. And I just poured into it. And that and music is my two parallels, parallel passions that my entire life I've been fully immersed in. Mm. Well, tell us about the transition from the pool to the lakes, because in our experience, very different experience going from, you know, the black line to like basically blackness, right? Where you can't really see anything. Um, what was your transition like? And I know the first transition was into, was into lakes. It was, um, how do I say it's a terrible transition. That might be the best way to say it. (laughs) Oh, well that makes for a good story then. (laughs) Which is exactly what led me to all the subsequent things that I've done with my career since. And I I don't even like calling it a career, by the way, all, all the things I've done and kind of put out there. So my first swim was as a late teen. I was 17 or 18. I was a senior in high school. I know, I know that. I remember that. And I had friends who were getting into triathlon. This was kind of a budding sport in Texas, still pretty small. Uh, this was like 2001, maybe. And being a swimmer, I was asked by someone who I did have interest in. So there was some level of like wanting to impress there, just to paint the picture a little bit. And they asked me to help them in the open water to prepare for a triathlon. And as a teenager, it's uh, you're highly impressionable, and I thought that I could do exactly that. And I think I also knew that I could not do exactly that at the same time. So I naively went into this with no experience in the open water. I think I just thought swimming and swimming and swimming. And that couldn't be farther from the case from my first experience in the open water. So the week before, we made plans, I think the weekend before, and this was like an early Sunday in April, if I remember correctly, and this is a lake in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth area, brown water, like you said, the blackness, this is like the, the brownness, uh, so much so that like, you don't want to open your mouth, like you just want to close everything so you know you're going to get sick afterwards, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which also is terrifying, by the way. Uh, so I... Kind of leave this week up to this with uh, a bit of excitement because I know I'm going to impress this person and we're probably going to get married at some point in the next few years after this and it's just going to be this beautiful story. 
and equal parts nervousness, knowing that I had no idea what to expect. I remember the drive there. I had my Walkman with the adapter with the tape cassette that went into the tape deck in my 92 Pontiac Grand Prix, which was sick. The car wasn't the best. And I was listening to REM, which was like my, my favorite band at the time, my dad's favorite band at the time. And my happiest of music just wasn't working for me. <laughs> I just, I, I, I really felt nerves. And I think to this point, I had, I had very little nerves aside from performance, swimming performance for that matter. And I guess this was that, like, I felt like I was having to perform in a way that I wasn't qualified for or knowledgeable for. So I get there and the person's waiting there for me and I'm excited. I'm really happy, but I had no understanding of what the formalities were of what the gear is and what do you do? Like, what do you talk about before? Do you make a plan? I didn't know anything. And they're putting on their wetsuit and I don't have a wetsuit. And the water wasn't crazy cold. I would say it was maybe like low 60s. It was, it was, it was manageable. It wasn't intolerable. And they just sort of like march into the water, into like this muddy brown water, and they go out, and I'm supposed to follow them or be next to them and actually be teaching them for that matter. And <laughs> I, I made it out, I think, 50, 60 meters and was upright, swallowing water, there was a little surface chop on the water from the wind, which is a big challenge in fresh water, like in lakes. It, that does That is difficult for sure. And I was swallowing this water, which was gnarly, of course. And I just got so in my head about the reality of it. I, I, I couldn't do this. Like I, I had told myself, like, wow, like, I, I don't know what to do. And the swimmer looks back. And by the way, telling this story, I've, I've told it a handful of times. I, I feel so much anxiety telling this because I can feel like the specific trauma that I had in that moment. And I also like sharing this because it's very cathartic as well. But right now I'm like very tight chested and I'm like, okay, breathe, 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 which relax into it, relax into it. Yes. It's still with you for sure. It's still with you. Yeah, and, and I won't pretend that I'm like some guru that has solved this and now I can share this with the world, but I have figured something out, which we'll get to. So she looks back and is like wondering, I think, you know, are you going to catch up? Like, like what's going on? And, and probably at this point, they probably knew that I wasn't in a good place. I put my head down. I take X number of strokes, very few, and uh, my head is spinning. Like I, I am so out of control of my senses. Every single one of them is just gone and I'm upright and I'm telling myself that I, I can't do this. And I, I knew that I couldn't do this, which was a really weird reality and a very new feeling for me having had like a really easy, great childhood up until now. Like I, I had never known much stress or fear. My life was, was great. Super privileged. Uh, this person swims back to me and knows I'm not in a good way. And this, you know, the amount of embarrassment was there, but that was the last of my worries. I was physically scared and panicked of, of how to survive, not to be dramatic, but, um, and they they get closer to me and I can't hear anything. My, my senses are swirling, but I see their mouth mouthing the words, just breathe, you know, just breathe. And that was the very first time I'd thought about that word breathe thought about the breath. I'm like, Oh yeah, breathe. So I sort of like pushed out all the air I had been keeping in my chest, reset that and found a little bit of 
comfort in that, that I could at least control, I at least owned my breath and enough so to get back to shore the 60 meters for reference. That's like a less than one minute swim <laughs> back to, back to, I won't call it a beach back to the, the boat dock, uh, that was very muddy and slippery. And I made my way back and man, that, that feeling that uh, those emotions, which are really still hard to find language for even today, were just, it was the worst feeling I, I maybe have ever had because I found my first fear and my first fear was in a place that I identified with the most, the water. And I didn't know what to do with that. Like that just felt really, really terrible. And this person went home. Uh, we did not end up getting married actually. Uh, just, I, I don't know why I still, I still drive myself crazy over figuring out why this didn't work out, but, <laughs> I just wonderful, wonderful first date. Uh, and yeah, I, I drove home and I had this 30 minute drive back to my house and, um, in silence, I, I turned off the, the, the Walkman and I was beside myself. It was really confusing. I'll say with my family, something that we, we had growing up was my dad's phrase is all good things. And he means this in the best of ways. And something I actually still like to say today, and I think he means it in the right way, but there was something where we did only have all good things. And there was, there was times where we didn't really talk about the hard stuff. And I, I didn't have the language for emotions that weren't the good things. And this was evident in one of these times where I really struggled to figure out what I was feeling. And that took many years. This was not the turning point where I figured it out. This took probably another decade plus to figure it out. But I look back now, I'm like, yeah, I, I had no way of identifying what I was feeling, which made it that much more potent and real and scary. So the one thing I did well uh, was I knew I had to work through this. The one of the many things I did not do well is I didn't tell anybody. So I kept this fear perfectly internalized, didn't tell my parents, drove home. They didn't know what I did that day after school. They had no idea. And I just kind of had that, that shame around that, that embarrassment that was between myself and you know my internal voice. And that was just a rough, rough place to be. So day one of this process, which was aimless, not purposeful, believe it or not, it kind of was a pretty smart progression in hindsight, but it wasn't intentional. Day one, I, I drove back. This was, I think, two days later after school, and I just stood there, and my heart is racing. It's like, like I, I couldn't hear anything again. It, it did not feel good. But I sat with that for however long, half an hour, went home. The next day, I went back, and I was like ankle deep knee waist deep kind of thing just feeling the water and that felt really good just sort of feeling the very light energy of the water my hands brushing across the surface of it the next day after that i would submerge below and sort of practice that that rhythm of the inhale and the exhale as i went up and down i think by like day five i was swimming along the in the shallows along the perimeter of this you know oblong lake and I was loving it. It felt amazing. So the biggest thing I did wrong, I didn't share with people, but I also did this alone. I, I swam alone and I approached a fear by myself. And I think those are the two biggest mistakes I made that 
I am so passionate about helping other people avoid that experience because it's really lonely and it's also just physically dangerous, like literally dangerous. So that was the, go ahead, DJ. No, I was going to say like, that was the, yes, having people there, but I'm assuming those, those days where you kept going back there, you were by yourself, correct? I was by myself. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you see here, here's what's so beautiful about this too, is like, you have this inner knowing that you can work your way through it where I think you can agree. Most people would never go back. And that's probably why you're working with people who will never go back to the open water. They're just paralyzed by it, but it didn't paralyze you. There was something that said, I must go back. And there's also something inside that says, you know, there's a different approach to this. I'm, I'm going to uh, meet myself where I'm at and slowly get to understand this thing that has uh, somewhat of a, a grasp on me right now of my, it has, it's bringing fear into my life and I want to get to the other side of it. But you figured that out on your own. Like you, you have, you, there's something in there that said, I have the tools to do this. I just need to figure it out. And I think that's, you know, being a coach myself, like, I think that's the puzzle that we need to put together for each particular person that we're working with to figure out what is their connection point to bridge the gap between the fear and this entryway into beginning to diffuse it or to break it down. Mm. That was really generous of you to say that. <laughs> that was a really positive reframe of my, <laughs> but I, 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 <laughs> I, I know you meant that and, and you're right. I should give myself some credit and maybe that's a great example of how I was talking to myself during that time. And, and, and actually maybe that's how I've been talking to myself all these years about this that has been perhaps less than productive and less than loving. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, there, there, there was a draw back to it for sure. And I think that may have been closer to Jess's first question, like what drew me to the water? I have always had that really, really strong pull towards it. So yes, I, what you're saying, BJ, is really apt as far as helping people work, well, helping people step into the water and step into the fear of the water. And that, that, that is the hardest thing. And the thing that I found that is the most critical to do this is to create a first positive experience because our brains will then associate that and then create that story for the next experiences. So if the first one's good, we have the best chance of setting ourselves up for a positive next one, and next one, and next one. And then the association is a love for this thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, you, and you're providing that platform, right? And that came from your pain, right? From your experience. That was so scary because when we get into a situation like that, you know, we're in that fight or flight that says, I don't want to die, which is essentially what your nervous system was saying in that moment. But this draw, this draw brought you back the next day. You just looked at the lake, brought you back to just go ankle deep, brought you back to, you know, getting in there. So it was, I mean, talk about purpose. I really believe that, you know, life is always moving through us. Um, Mm. yes, we're moving through life, but it's a two way street. Life is moving through us and life is calling us to more. And, and I don't think we're here by happenstance. We're here very much to uncover, you know, this purpose and, and whatever that purpose is, it, it, it could be just a hobby. It could be your career. It could be 
anything. And, and some people's happens to display a little bit larger than others, you know, in stories like this. But it was, it was that moment and that experience in the lake that brought you to this incredible organization where, you know, and I can attest that it's so, it's so welcoming to the point where it's not just you welcoming people. It's not just Aunt Anthony welcoming people who's been doing an amazing job, by the way, while you're sunning in the uh, Grand Canyon. Um, it's everyone, you know, we had a new girl, we had a new girl, um, Tiffany on Sunday and she's, you know, coming back from an injury and she's like, you know, I can swim and this is my first time. And, and I just watched everyone just support her and introduce themselves to her. And so it's in, it's the trickle effect of anything. And, and I, we see it here with Yogi Triathlete, like the trickle effect is what just allows me to sleep so sound at night and keeps my heart full. It's not necessarily what I'm doing in a day. It's watching what's happening without BJ and I needing to be a part of it. Um, mm. and so we got to witness that you weren't there on Sunday, but we got to witness that trickle effect and we get to be a part of it. And it's, and it's just incredible. So let's, um, let's move the story from this transition now from, because we also know that lakes got nothing on the ocean. So, um, <laughs> that, transition once you get to the Pacific coast, like what is it now like to, to begin to immerse yourself in the ocean, which is just such an incredible organism? Oh man. Well, I love what you just said there, Jess. I might quickly comment because that was really, really well said. I think what drew me back, I just maybe realized this right now, to be honest, uh, as a high schooler, and I had this conversation last night with someone actually about this that I hadn't thought about in decades. In high school, I was sort of awkward. I was sort of like the shyer, like weird, emo-y kid, especially the first few years of high school. Uh, I, I really was, yeah. I really was. This is true. I see your faces right now, but it's true. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the way I felt during those years, it was just such a like stifling, uncomfortable feeling. And I'm such like a bleeding heart lover of people that I, it pains me to see other people feel uncomfortable, mistreated, unloved, unwelcomed, that that is the exact thing that led me to create this sort of community. Uh, and thank you for reminding me of that. Like that, that is the exactly the foreshadowing of, of what was ahead because I wasn't the best swim coach. I wasn't the best swimmer at all, but I think my gift has always been bringing people together and, and seeing people and, and, and supporting people. And you're right. That trickle effect is unbelievable and so beautiful to watch. And that for me might be the most perpetually rewarding thing is to see people like yourself you guys start to become mentors and leaders in the group and it just builds that way. And, and those bonds are, are unbreakable. So thanks for saying that. I, I just had to comment because that is such a good point that you made. And let's talk about the ocean <laughs> because that yeah. transition was, yeah, I, I, I had some very similar feelings. When I moved to California, which it's about maybe 11 years ago. Now it was in Redondo beach, which is South LA and this beach is beautiful, really quiet, really deep sections of sand with no tourism. And it's just, it's just un, unbelievable, one of a kind. And I moved there and my goal was to go from being a bigger fish in a small pond to 
going to the big pond and seeing if I could, if I could do it. And I was fired up. I had so much drive. I was like late twenties or 30 ish maybe. And I was super, super excited. And my very first swim in the ocean, I had the exact same feelings of my very first swim in the lake. <laughs> I actually, I'd probably have not shared this story, uh, cause that, that it's kind of embarrassing. I, I actually am a little bit embarrassed by that now being like such like a, like an ocean guy, like spending so much time, um, and having so much comfort in the water. I, w- I was very scared actually, cause I got there and there were waves and the water had so much movement and energy and I just remember my very first time going in the water, I immediately told myself there were sharks out there. And so I swam like no more than like 10 yards offshore and came back in. And then the second time out there, I turned it back into play and I just stayed in the shallows and we started to jump over the waves that came in. I remember like exclaiming like, Oh, like, like actually like making noises, like, like a little kid, it just felt so, so joyful. And that really has been like the case since, but I, I had a long way to go. I had to learn so much about the ocean, not just about open water swimming, which I had started to build a bit of knowledge on and experience with clients, but I had no idea what the, that big deep blue does and, and how to work through it. So you can imagine there was some amount of imposter syndrome, which I think can be healthy and it's probably unavoidable at first when you start something. I, I don't want to say fake it till I made, made it. I don't love that. Like I wasn't faking anything. I was, I was putting my heart into something that I was really passionate about and I was eager to absorb and learn and share. So I wasn't faking anything. I, I just had a lot to learn. So I would take clients out. We would, I would have pool clients who would go to the open water. And I remember a couple of my clients that I've now had for years the first sessions were reflexively just as much for me as they were for them. They didn't know that, but if a client fearful of the ocean and I'd be like, yes, I get to also work through this right now. So like, <laughs> which I should, I should probably like pay them back. I should send them a check, to like reimburse them for those sessions. But, um, the first couple of ones, like I'd be in the water and we would just be floating and working on breath, kind of the way I worked on the breath in the lake and submerging up and down, like holding hands in the water and breathing and keeping a focal point and a, and a mental um, kind of discerned focus as well. So it was a really, really slow road. But I, I did start my first open water group immediately. And that, I, I don't want to say it was like to a fault. It was sort of like perfect in a way because I drew in two of the most unique people that I'm so grateful for that set the stage for everything that's been built the past 11 years with our communities and it was a scared of the ocean newbie and an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, the first two members of my open water group. <laughs> and there's going to be a, a common thread here where that person who was Olympic gold medalist, that was a person who I was interested in and wanting to impress yet again, <laughs> Ten, 12 years later. <laughs> 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 well, and I think that that just so speaks to, oh my gosh, it's just, it was just the world, it was the world foreshadowing what was to come because mm. that is the experience um, at these swims, at least the ones that I've been to in Encinitas. You've got um, Isaac Diaz, who is on the, on our podcast not too long ago, who's an incredible swimmer, professional triathlete. 
And then you have somebody like this new woman who is, was swimming, but you know she's coming back from injury and she's not really sure what's going on. And then you have total beginners that are like, okay, do I wear, some people have wetsuits on, some people don't. Like, what do I do? Like, is somebody going to be watching me? Is And and that's what it is. It's like, it's for everyone. It's so inclusive. And <laughs> that first group was like, okay, Brian, here's, here's the grid. Now just keep filling it in. Because here are the two ends, and that's Mm -hmm. how it is. It's amazing. I love being able to try and stay on Isaac's toes, Um, and really the goal has just been like, all right, let me just see if I can like see his toes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, Uh, totally. That that is a a great way to put that. the The disparity of experience and skill is the most beautiful thing, and I think that is such just an like it's so indicative of of our life. And anywhere you go, you meet people of such diverse everything. And we're meant to relate to her. We're meant to connect. We're meant to share and teach each other. And so that's, it's a largely unspoken thing. Like you've already said, you guys are are kind of becoming mentors already. You guys are there supporting people. I didn't have to tell you to do that. That was modeled by the energy and the inclusion of the group, which it seems like such a simple thing, but I have a really hard time finding that other places. I think because of that, I've really dedicated my life to the oceans. Maybe this is the vehicle that best operates that and best serves that. So it's just, like I said earlier, I feel like I'm cheating. The The ocean does all of the work. It really does. It come, you have to be very open-hearted and open-minded to to, to create this and, and to share this. But the ocean, it's just, it's such a perfect teacher for us. Yeah, I think, I think uh, what, what gets in the way... Um or the barrier to this is like our egos, right? Like I can't swim with the professional swimmer or I'm not good enough or I'll never be that. And I think the ocean is that, uh, I think it is that, um, equalizer. I think it all, we all have some element of unknown with it because as you, I, you described in, in one podcast, like, I mean, it's so true. It's like ever changing. Like you're not going to be able to change the ocean. There's no way. And, it, and you can't say I got through it today and then tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing because it's, it's constantly changing. So what can you do? And you, you said eloquently, like simply prepare for it, like prepare, prepare yourself, mm. do your due diligence and prepare, um, prepare to meet and greet this, this amazing body, uh, of water. And so how do you, you described three steps, and if you want to jump into that, like how does someone begin to form that relationship with the water? And I know you kind of talked about it in your own experience, but I loved how you just talked about the impact zone and, and all those things to, to kind of bring our audience into that. Yeah, so I do sort of start more conceptual. Like I would call it the conceptual, which really begins with the understanding of the body of water. And I think that's important because that will dictate, of course, your experience. And without taking the time to do so, you leave a lot of room for error. And if you ascribe, subscribe to the same school thought like of saying that first experience is super important, and if it's a positive first experience, it will then perpetuate that way, I, I think that's really true, then you have to understand what you're getting into. So the conceptual is just knowing, okay, what what is the water doing? What what is my goal? Am I doing a certain course? Am I doing a certain time? Do we have any language we need to be using out there? So it sort of takes away all the question marks that can create discomfort out there. 
not all of them. And that is also the beauty of this is that it does still present plenty of opportunities to, to grow and to, to kind of get out of that, the comfortable space. So I've always said, it's not nothing novel. I've always said you're either prepared or you're unprepared. And I don't know, I don't know if I made it up or where I got that, but I mean, that's just, that's so simply true. We've, we've all experienced times when we were unprepared and we know that, and that's, that creates a level of humility that is, that it can be helpful as well. But uh, simply prepare for it. Like, p- put your brain into a place where you're feeling good and you're feeling ready. Like that happy place in your brain is really important to move into things that you want to try that are challenging for you, which is kind of the second piece is the mental emotional place. And this I think can be a little woo woo for some people. I've always been pretty cautious and diplomatic with my language with clients. I try not to get too out there. I like to get pretty out there. But I meet them kind of where they are. Um, but <laughs> you guys are, I feel very safe with you guys. Uh, <laughs> Go way but, out. Go way uh, out. Go yeah, way out there. Y- yes, exactly. Exactly. And I do think it takes that, like, pun intended, deep dive and going really inward to uh, discern some of these things and find language for it. Because we need to know, okay, what is going on in their head? What are we telling ourselves? What are we feeling emotionally, physically in relation to the open water? That's important because that's our body's response to likely fear. If you were to put things into fear and love, two categories, this is clearly going to be a fear-based response reaction. So if we can start to identify those things, we can at least observe that and say, okay, I'm, I'm I'm feeling like, gosh, I want to be able to stand the whole time, or I hate that I can't see under the water. That really scares me. That alone is such a huge first step. And just recognizing that, I think, give yourself some permission to be easy on yourself because, of course, that's scary. You can't control that. And the lack of control of that is what, is what makes it difficult for all of us. We want to control every aspect of our life, whether we realize it or not. And that's not pointing fingers at anybody or it's just, that's a innate thing as far as our, how our brain functions. So with this mental, emotional, this kind of second step and piece, I like to have the person recognize, think about these things, take notes, let's say the day, days leading up to our first swim in the open water. And then we'll, we'll talk about it and, and kind of see, okay, what, what came up? And with no judgment, of course, we can talk about that. I can help them maybe find language for it. And then the, the, the connecting piece there is what are you feeling right before you get in? Because that'll look very different. It'll feel very different and sound very different than it did the days before. Uh, because right before you get in, that is probably the most scary part. But if you're doing the first piece, the conceptual side of things, and understanding the water that should start to regulate your, your, yourself, your brain, and slow things down. I found that works really well, especially if I'm with someone else, and we'll do maybe some breathwork stuff, or maybe even just having them think about and say, inhale and exhale as they do that. It puts their brain in a productive, positive place that is, I don't want to say it's unwavering, but it's something you could always go back to to maintain the focus. And then the third piece is the experiential. It's, it's being in the water, which sounds obvious, but this I always put zero expectations on. 
And I never know what to expect. I never have any idea where someone will be as far as uh, how they're going to feel. I've had people who are really, really accomplished swimmers who have panic attacks in the open water. So I always just try to limit the amounts of expectations on what we're trying to achieve in the session because every day is, is very different, of course. That's kind of like the three pieces, and that experiential piece should be taken very slowly. Like, there's no rush for this. Uh, you dictate what is the next step. And maybe my job is to facilitate and like kind of chaperone that, but it, it, that's you. That is your internal knowing. You do know what will feel good or safe or right for you in the next step, and I, just, I help to encourage that thought process. Does that all make sense? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And just giving someone permission, like they could be, you know, Joe six pack triathlete um, <laughs> and, or Jennifer's six pack triathlete and can't get through the break. They can't get through the surf. Like they can't totally. just giving them that permission. You know, the ocean is the boss. Um, and you know, we, I always do breath work prior to getting in. Cause I want to get myself connected to presence. The breath is great connector to the nervous system, um, and just in a, in a very calm place. And I love the ocean. I absolutely love the ocean. I've never really been scared of the ocean, although I have a deep respect and understand that she could be the boss of me at any time. But the place where I think, especially here in Southern California, uh, the Pacific ocean, I grew up on the Atlantic, very, very, very different ocean. Um, although the same is that impact zone is like understanding, you know, how to get past the surf, how to get past the break. Um, so if you can speak a little bit to that, like the impact zone and, and really what is that? What is the impact zone? What is, what is she doing in those moments? The ocean? Yeah. Yeah. It might be the most beautiful culmination of energy uh, in life because that wave was formed. It can be thousands of miles away days ago where that that or, uh, originates. So you imagine this is slowly building, 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 and traveling towards the closest piece of land that ends up ultimately breaking that energy and dispersing that energy. So what you're seeing is, of course, water molecules. Everything is building, 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 and you, the water starts to pitch upward, which would be the start of the wave. It forms the peak of the wave. And then all that volume of water starts to be thrown downward and has to go somewhere, and it goes right back into water. So what ends up happening is there's too much water in one place, has nowhere to go, and it creates that, people call it the washing machine, the really, really uh, energetic movements all over the place. It often is circular. And it's just, it's such a profound thing to watch. I, I absolutely love it. I could watch the waves all day. And the irony is that that's the most fearful place for so many people, especially where we live in California, is that exact moment. So maybe <laughs> that reframe of that could help people as well to see how beautiful of a, of a moment you're, you're capturing there, seeing the end of this, this journey. So yeah, the impact zone is exactly that. that sorry, that was a really uh, our, yeah, roundabout way of getting there. I apologize, but... Yeah, but it beautiful is. though, beautiful. And I, and I love that you, that you articulated it in that way, because you could really think about it as like, you know, energy that has been building and building and building for days is finally breaking and opening into something else. And we get to be a part of that. 
Yeah. And it's, it's the relationship between earth and water that creates all of this. Uh, and of course the moon as well, that, that has a big literal pool, but it's the, it's called the cemetery, like the, 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 the surface underneath how that that's contoured, what the, the materials are, is it reef, is it sand? That's what dictates the shape, the power, the size of the waves. It's really, really cool. So again, the more you understand, you're prepared, you're unprepared. The more you understand, the, the more you will feel prepared for it. So uh, that, that, that final point there where because of the shape of the sand on that day, because the sandbar had been moved the past couple of weeks because of a storm system, that wave is expressing itself in the way because of that. It's really, really cool. Now I'll be more literal, I guess. Let's be helpful. Uh, the impact zone is the most dynamic part of the ocean. So this is where, like I said, all the energy is trying to find a place to go, and it's, it's really tricky. Our job as swimmers, as surfers, as water people to get through that, we do have to know how to navigate it safely and just with purpose. And it's not all that hard. And I will say cautiously, a two-foot wave and a six-foot wave mostly operate in the same way and mostly require us to do the same things. But with a bigger wave, you're going to have more energy and maybe a little bit more room for air. I'll say that. But if you can get that out of your brain, you can approach waves every single wave almost the same way. It's really helpful knowing just how to time going to the wave. What's the depth of going to the wave that I'm trying to reach. So what I like to teach is uh, I call it acting early and you're trying to give your body a chance to get low enough to the floor of the ocean to avoid a lot of the churning of all of that displaced water that has nowhere to go. That, that washing machine effect. So acting early might look like two body lengths away from the wave, you would dive. You'd make your first dive to go beneath, and your goal is to get parallel to the floor, if you can imagine, so that the legs aren't sticking up and getting caught or pulled in some of that energy of, of the movement of the water. So when you act early, you make a dive, and you're going down, and again, you're trying to avoid that. The biggest mistake I see, which is a common thread in life, and especially in swimming, is holding up the breath. I can't name a single time when holding your breath is productive, uh, maybe free diving. Other than that, I don't know when holding your breath really serves you. It's literal deprivation, hypoxia, it's, it's restriction, it's tension in the body. So going to the waves, this would be the most important time to make sure you exhale. One, when you exhale, you're releasing all of that CO2 that would have been buoyancy in your lungs that would make it harder to get beneath the waves to sink down. But most importantly, you're still maintaining that sort of sine wave, that rise and fall of your breath. You're not holding your breath. You're inhaling right before you dive. You're exhaling under and you fluidly come up right back into your same inhale. So you've maintained that tempo that is so comforting and so familiar, which we've probably just worked on, let's say on the beach before. So it's a perfect carry over into the water and I would even say it kind of distracts the mind from the literal ask of going through waves, which can be challenging for sure. And I get why that would be scary. So again, the breath as the foundation of that might be the most critical piece, exhaling as you go under, just in general. It's such a really, really relaxing thing. Well, the tendency, I feel, is, is exactly the opposite. It's to hold the breath. And then how long do I hold it until the wave goes? And then you pop up and you're gasping you know, for air. And then guess what? There's another wave coming. 
and you've lost mm-hmm. that you've lost that rhythm i think that's what you feel when you start to take your approach where you're exhaling and then pop up breathe and then exhale it's always uh, it's the it's the root it's the root source it's the connector to calm is that breath so um yeah i think i think where we get caught up and i, I would say myself as well in the past is just trying to hold the breath because you want to, you want to wait till that wave comes and then pop up. But that's just creating, like you said, it's just creating a little bit more anxiousness. So restriction, right? Restriction. And, and here's another thing, you know, we may be in a wetsuit and we're, con- we're already constricted, um, mm. uh, the compression there as well. So yeah, I love that exhale. I think I like that a lot. Yeah. I know. I can't wait to practice it. Yeah. Uh, what happens when we do get caught in the, in the washer mm. machine that happened to me. Um, the waves were really powerful the other day and, uh, and I dove too late, totally dove too late and, uh, was caught in the washing machine. And as I'm in the washing machine, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, what did they say last week about when you get caught here? And I couldn't remember. <laughs> so I was like, I just like relaxed and you just feel like a rag doll. I mean, it was whipping me side to side and spinning me. Um, and I just kind of relaxed there. I had, I felt fine. I, I wasn't freaking out or anything, but what, is there any technique to do in, <laughs> when you're, when that's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mother ocean is a beautiful beast. I'll say that. I mean, it is, it, it is something that is undefeatable, uh, literally undefeatable. So there is a bit of, so it is, uh, you know, like that phrase with being in that, because that is exactly where you are. And so each of those times is an opportunity, of course, not to be cheesy about this, but you do need to relax into that. I think the first thing that you could have done, Jess, maybe on on that last swim was to make the observations before and namely looking at the tempo or the frequency of the ocean of the waves. And that's something it's called the period. That's something you can look at online as well, which will give you some good information, but more valuably, I think you do it in person so you can visually see it and have that, that, that mental visual connection where I'm watching a wave break and I'll count the number of seconds between that set and then the next break. And I'll do it a few times because it's not a perfect science or math, but loosely you're trying to say, okay, is this, is it a, a short period or a long period? And a short could be every four to six seconds. That's, that's really quick. And long could be 16, 18 seconds, really long. So making the observation before does sort of prime your brain and your expectation of what it might feel like when you get out there. You make the dive under and let's say you're a little bit late. No problem. You pop up and you know in X number of seconds, the next wave is probably going to be there. So there might be times when that washing machine happens because waves double up and you kind of had two in a row. And so the more you can visually start to see this, you can prepare and dive under and maybe stay under for an extra two, three seconds, which if you're exhaling will not feel as stressful. If you're holding your breath, it will feel terrible <laughs> and you just will not, you won't, you won't do it. I promise you, you will not be able to do it. So the, the number of seconds you're under the water is very small. We're talking like two to maybe five seconds, not long at all. So I think the, the, the practice is really important, Jess, because you will get caught in the washing machine. Something that there's a term called going over the falls when you're surfing. And that's when you're just a little too close to the, the edge, like the lip of the wave, and you get pulled over and then you get thrown into that circular motion. 
And that's just one of the worst, funniest feelings. It just, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's so funny and stupid and great. You know, like, it's going to happen for sure. I've seen the best surfers do that. And it makes you feel really good. You're like, okay, everyone, everyone does this. And I don't even want to call it a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's the ocean's imperfections on you, you know, and we're not perfect either. So I think the, the repetition is really big. Uh, make sure you're out there often doing this, which I think what works well with One With The Ocean is that these guys are out there every week. And you'd think that on big days at Moonlight Beach and Encinitas, which gets really aggressive in the winter, it's only going to be all like the really experienced, seasoned, like fast cats. And it's not. It's the beginners too, because they've trained through the year. They've trained through the temperature change, the energy change in the water, and they've been practicing every week. So this, it really is for everybody. I, I really believe that. And some people have advantages with physical strength and the such, but otherwise it, we, ha- we all have the chance to be in the water safely, enjoyably and get better. Like it, it's a, it's really, really quite simple in that regard. Speaking of getting back in the water or people that are fearful of the water and circling back to what you had mentioned and touched upon early on, um, I just want to address sharks <laughs> or the, <laughs> the, uh, the mind stuff that goes on with it. Because, you know, to be honest, when we, when we were out there swimming that day, I think it was two weeks ago, the amazing day that we had with, uh, I don't know, 30 dolphins that would not oh. leave us alone. I almost had the thought, well, I did have the thought swimming around the candlestick. I'm like, are the dolphins here because they're protecting us from something that's emanating that's Mm. coming right and i constantly shifted to like everybody's so calm and everybody's so happy that there's dolphins so i kept shifting back and forth to no shark dolphins no shark dolphins (laughs) (laughs) and and they get in the water quite a bit but even i have that that story so can you speak to um can you speak to sharks yeah we have yeah absolutely I, i i first really am angered by like the movie jaws and i I saw a really really good uh, it was like a meme or something so who knows the validity but the like the creators the writers of of those couple movies in whatever it was the 80s um they have a lot of resentment around that because that really did set the the that created the image for people of sharks and that told people to be fearful of sharks and before that that just was not the case um, sharks are not something to be fearful of. I understand why people would be. They're they're large animals and they're predatorial, like everything else in the world is too. So that that really did set the standard. Unfortunately, moving forward and things like Shark Week, it's just ridiculous. Like it's such a like capitalistic money grab that uh, has nothing to do with <laughs> wanting to care for animals that are part of our our world. Uh, sorry, don't quote me on that. Actually, I guess, yeah, I'm, I am quoted on that now. <laughs> um, but so we, we have, we have a lot of hard work to rewire that. And so it's kind of rewrite that narrative, um, as a, as communities, as a society, because sharks are not out to get us, but I will, I do want to, yeah, let's address like the why behind that and maybe the how to move past that. The why is because they're, they're big. And again, fear, the unknown, the lack of understanding. Sharks move in a really interesting way, similar to snakes. I think that is the literal psychology of why snakes are scary for a lot of people is the way they move. It's slithering. And sharks actually move in a pretty similar way. 
So I think that is maybe a really basic common uh, starting point for someone's fear of sharks, much less all the other things like I mentioned of what they've seen and heard and watched. So understanding, you're prepared, you're unprepared, understanding what sharks do, what sharks like, their activities, that is the best place to start. And the more you understand their feeding patterns and uh, you know just their behaviors, that can put you in a place where knowing, okay, I know maybe at dusk and dawn might be a little bit higher chance of there being shark activities. Still, I don't think you should be fearful of this. But knowing what they feed on, what they eat, why, when, that's really helpful because then you understand them more as a being. And I mean, we're, we're predators. We're predators of sharks. We, we, we kill 100x of sharks per year, probably more than that, than, than, uh, than they do us. So I think there's a lot of perspective there. And just seeing them more as just another beautiful being that's in the ocean is important. Dolphins, I think, are our protectors. I don't think that's why they're there that day necessarily. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm seen into your psyche there, BJ, a little bit, and that that is perfectly okay and common. Uh, dolphins are so cool. They're just so playful and like they just dance through the water and they teach us how to surf and move. Um, they they do. They are kind of a bit above sharks. Like like dolphins can hunt sharks, which is kind of cool to know that as well. So maybe if, if that's what works for you, and I'm not saying you, BJ, like if, if that's something that helps you think, okay, when dolphins are around, I'm safe, that might be a good place to be. That, 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 that's perfectly okay. That's a good mindset to have. But I think more importantly, we want to try and get away from the fear of sharks and knowing that we do not need to be fearful of sharks. Uh, the likelihood is just, it's just too small uh, and it's rarely an attack. It might be a bite. They don't have hands, and I, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, so what are they going to use? They're going to use their mouth. Uh, they're very curious, and we're we are in their space ultimately. If you if you want to think about it that way as well, and that's also part of the beauty of the experience of sharing the ocean with with its inhabitants. Is like, man, this this is their world, and I get to, to be an observer and experience this. Might be the coolest part. So the shark stuff is right. The shark stuff is I, man, I feel these questions so many times and I, it depends on like how much energy I have in that day for that conversation. But sometimes I'll get into it (laughs) and sometimes I'll just sort of like gently like lead away from that because that, that conversation also might not serve the process of getting through this because then you're, we're thinking about it more. We're talking through it more. So I, I would encourage people to, to get educated on the animals, not just sharks, but whales. Whales are my personal favorite. I have a huge, deep, deep connection with whales. Maybe a future podcast, I can share some of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of the ocean. It's like we, we are out there with those animals. I love it. That's beautiful. Well, I think yeah. the, just one with the ocean, you know, jumping on that, like, that was like the perfect marketing day for one with the ocean, I think. <laughs> I walked away from that, like literally no, like one with the ocean. Like I felt like I was one with it. They were swimming under us. They were hanging around. I think we did like 10 minutes of actual swimming because it was just so <laughs> breathtaking. Um, and for those that you know are listening to this, they're like, where is that? That's at the Moonlight Beach um, location in Encinitas every Sunday at 730. And I'm, I can only imagine other places there's dolphin sightings as well our shows yeah yeah we we've long had a, a, a chapter in kailua 
um, in Oahu. And that water is crystal clear and they have these beautiful spinners and bottlenose dolphins. And I was always just so happy for them and so like wanting to be with them when I'd see their videos of just being swimming above dolphins. Like I feel like it was like every session. And it's just so cool. So yeah, dolphins are mostly across the globe. One of the one of the many animals that brings joy. Uh, that session was the perfect marketing tool. It's definitely for you guys. You had waited X number of years, like you said, maybe for no reason, unsure. And like the what a selling point. Like you're like, oh wow, okay, this is this is pretty pretty cool. It set the bar very high, by the way. But yeah, it was it. it <laughs> What? You were away. Yeah, I was. I was in the oppressive I, heat of New England, and, and I wasn't oh. going to go. I was like, I'm um, not going to go. I'm not going to go. Yeah. I ended up going. I know you gotta you gotta put yourself in the experience for something like that. You just never know when something magical is going to happen. Yes. And you guys have there's. I encourage everyone to go to the one with the ocean website. We'll link all this stuff up in the show notes. Um, you actually have a chapter in Massachusetts that is headed up by Craig Lewin, who we also had on the show. Who's an amazing Aww. salty New Englander. He's crazy and amazing. <laughs> um, but there's. Tons Tons of chapters. And I think, Brian, I would love to have you back on the show um, because let's start, let's talk about, you know, sighting and technique and you mm-hmm. know, all this other stuff, um, really tapping into your swim mechanic wisdom and knowledge. We would love, we would love to, um, to share all of that with our people. But as we wrap this up, I just have uh, one more question for you. Like, what's the, what's the vision? Like, what is just no no limitations. What's that dream? Um, either with one with the ocean or the swim mechanic or something completely not even related to that. What's the dream? Yeah, there's, I, I, I'm a dreamer. There's lots of dreaming and I will say humbly, like I have certainly stumbled through the trial and error of all the things I've done the past, like 15 years doing this or 14 years, how long it's been. Uh, I do have I do have a vision right now. I, I'm I'm really passionate about pouring into the communities that have less access to the water, and especially the resources to learn to be in the water. So my heart really that's where it is right now. I like the adult learn to swim stuff. I'll go ahead and say it right now on the record. I think that is my next my next big. Um, gift and my next big thing that I will will take as a gift and give as a gift. I think there it's just it's so applicable to the entire world. And with One with the Ocean, we are doing a lot of that with our program Play in the Waves, which is free swim lessons for kids from underserved communities. And we teach them about the ocean and conservation. And then we get them buddied up with mentors and we get them in the water, oftentimes for their first time in the ocean. And it is so powerful to, to experience that and to, to be there with them during that. So I, I really think my, my net is cast a bit wider right now. And I want to appeal to the every person, you know, and I, I, I love as I'm on a triathlon podcast, I love triathletes. <laughs> I love swimmers, but my definition of a swimmer has changed a lot of the years. And I've gone away from being this technical writer of, of technique. I still do that stuff. And I like it. And I want to share that. That's a very small niche population that I think can be expanded upon for myself. I think is getting people in the water might be the most important first obvious step 
that I haven't done enough of yet. So I am ready to like pour all of my heart and love into that. And it's, I'm so grateful that I get to do that. I mean, th- I, this is my living. Like, I get to be in Grand Cayman right now doing this with people. They're local here. Like that, like no one can dream that up. Like that was presented to me and I, I took it running and it's inspired me since to just really, really keep sharing this with as many people as possible. So that is where my heart's at right now. I love it. Keep picking up those breadcrumbs and, uh, yeah. and thank you so much. We'll see you when you get back. Uh, enjoy your time down there and really, really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And uh, yeah, we'll have you back on again and dig into that. Whales. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whales, yeah. Oh. whales and wisdom. Whales and wisdom. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> what, a, what a great name. That's a good like album name or something. Whales and wisdom. That's very cool. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. We Thank really you, Brian. appreciate it. Oh, you too guys. All right. Take care.